Chad. Welcome back. How's it going? How's it going, my man? Good. We're, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Chad, uh, how are your Timberwolves looking tonight? Um, they, they're starting better. I mean, you know, most games this season, they've kind of dug themselves into a hole to start games. And tonight, they, they do look a little different. I mean, right now it's 12-8, so it's not, we're not too deep into the first quarter. But uh, as I mentioned before we jumped on the air, D'Lo looks different tonight. Not He has a different haircut. That's not what I'm talking <laughs> about. But he, he just looks like he's got a little bit more... I don't know intent and what on on what he's doing. I mean, he started off pretty hot. He had a he had a three. I mean, he had a charging call that he picked up. Um, or he's just I don't know. He just looks more engaged, um, more comfortable. I guess would be probably the the most appropriate term. So unless you are one of our wives, I would be surprised if you have not been paying attention to the Wolves since we last talked about how they've been playing this season. But the last time we were on the air talking about current results, it was immediately after the opening game of the season, which was a win versus the Detroit Pistons. So, uh, Chad, we got six games to cover here uh, just to walk through really quickly how the team's been performing. We can we can start off on a high note. Game two of the season, Minnesota comes out and beats one of the projected top four teams in the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz, 116-111, and uh, what was, at this point, the high, the high point of the season? Now it's like, then you know, you have the sour case of the games after that since the last time we talked about current games. Yeah. So it's like a little bit hard to remember exactly what I liked about what during that uh, that whole game. But I will say they, they seemed like they had a little bit more togetherness than they did even from game one. Mm-hmm. A lot of that fell apart after Cat went down um, in L.A. But that game, you're like, oh, well, maybe I kind of see what the the idea here is for the system. I kind of see, you know, what guys are supposed to be doing, that kind of thing. And they were they were for the most part doing it. And so. It was a very fun game. I mean, Utah's a quality team, better than us. I think everybody will. I don't think there's anybody predicting the Wolves to have a better record at the end of the year than Utah. Right. So that's a quality win. Um, I don't know. What, what were your? Do you remember much from it? Well, I remember being very impressed with a lot of the different performers on the team. It wasn't. I don't think that D'Lo was quite in his groove yet. Um, no. But he, but he had a couple good quarters that game. Edwards had a great game. Uh, we were all just loving the fact that he was performing at that level. And Towns, as especially on the defensive end of the floor, was kind of guiding this team and being the stalwart in the middle. And as you mentioned, a, you know, a couple minutes ago, unfortunately, with that win came the biggest loss of the season, and the fact that Towns drove to the lane against Rudy Gobert late in the game, fell over. I don't well, didn't get didn't fall over. He got pushed over by Gobert and ended up dislocating his wrist. So uh, we the Timberwolves have been without Towns for five straight games now. Tonight, marking the sixth game uh, due to less left something subluxation whatever the technical term of it <laughs> never is. heard yeah i never yeah. heard it before um so but essentially had a dislocated wrist so that's taking its time to heal so the wolves uh after falling into place with that system you were talking about and the way that they looked like they wanted to play uh all of a sudden had to change everything on the fly because that entire system was based around their best player which was carl anthony town so they had to come out in the next game uh and play the defending champion los angeles lakers Early in that game, they lost another player, Josh Akogi, another starter to injury. Uh, he went down with a, what at the time was being called cramps. Uh, ended up not being cramps because he's still out. He's looking to return here pretty soon, but uh, not the way you want to uh, kick things off in the season, especially after seeing an injury. But uh, Lakers ended up winning that game 127 to 91, and I don't know if there's a lot to say, a lot to take away from that game besides the fact that they just had no idea what system they wanted to even run, and nobody felt com- looked comfortable on the floor. 
No, I mean, if anything, the one thing you could say is it shows you how badly this team misses Cat when he's not there mm-hmm. because they went from looking great against Utah to looking like the worst team in the league, which, frankly, statistically, I believe they were. Yeah. That, you know, that's when the bottom fell out. I mean, they're, I think, currently the worst defense in the NBA and one of the worst offenses. Um, and, you know, that was after a 2-0 and start. So Right, when everybody uh, thought that they were looking promising, that they were going to get off to another hot start like they did last year. Injuries just took the bottom out again. So Yeah, it's slow. It's going to slow the development again too, right? Because like, now, again, we've only got we got two more games between Towns and D'Lo. And they mm-hmm. only had, you know, three total two last now. year. Yep. Yeah. And now they're that's gone, and then you know you got Wancho and Beasley that are new, and Edwards that's new, and Rubio that's new. I mean, it's just I guess my overarching theme with all these this stretch of losses was, am I losing faith in Ryan mm-hmm. because of the system? And then I have to remind myself, look, he's got so many new faces on his team with no training camp, no preseason. It's so I, you know, and we'll get to this as we dive deeper into players and everything else, but it's kind of hard to blame anybody right now. It's just, I think fans just need to be patient with this team because of the funky start that, you know, that we have with, and it's only being more complicated with Towns going down. Yeah. I mean, so if you start off with that Lakers game, at being the absolute bottom of the barrel, it has, it hasn't gotten good. Let's not kid ourselves on that end, but it has gotten, possibly slightly better each game a few more minutes of competent play each game as this team has figured out probably how to play with each other how to play a system without towns and figured out who's who's kind of starting this season on, on a good note so they have another rough game immediately after that as they're in LA they have to play the Clippers they lose 124 to 101 so it, that two game stretch was just not a whole lot good to take away from that we should point out that the Lakers had no Anthony Davis yep right and the Clippers had no Kawhi Leonard correct so well, even play- in those moments, they're we're losing, we're missing talents, but they're missing players who are yep. just they're, as good at the time. One, one yep. or second best player on each of their teams. Yeah. Yep. So, so not not good games as a team. I mean, I know the team didn't play for nine months. They're trying to implement a system that a lot of guys don't know, and they were built around towns. But you have to show more fight, more fight than that, which I think is really what started off a lot of the the consternation or the questioning of, of Ryan Saunders and just his ability to kind of lead a team because the, the next man up mentality just isn't, doesn't seem to be there right now. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're trying to figure it out and figure out what their new system is going to be, but it can't always be a system. No. And that's what bugged me was that it's, it's less about the next man up kind of thing. It's more the, you know, he has a system and he's just kind of forcing guys to play that role, no matter who, who they are as a player. Like, Frankly, I don't think they they were using D'Lo right. I think they made strong strides in the right direction the last two games, you know, with Denver and you know so far tonight with Portland, um, setting more screens and, and picks for him. And then I don't think they were using Rubio right, but they're using them exactly the same. They're just mm-hmm. sort of throwing them out there and saying, no, this is what you do, you know. And so Rubio kind of brings the ball down the court and hands it off and goes stands in the corner. I mean, it's just like, okay, well, why have him on the floor then? I mean, so it's those kinds of things that were bugging me and and. I, you know, then I have to, that's sort of my immediate gut reaction while I'm watching the game. And then I have to kind of take a, take a breath afterwards. Like, okay, well, you know, they don't have a whole lot of time on the court together. You know, yeah. what, what can they really do system wise, even with those guys? And so I think the, what's encouraging to me about Ryan, cause I don't want this to be a, I'm begging on Ryan things. I really do like him as a person. Um, not that I know him personally, but from, you know, watching him and stuff. But he, what I want to say is that he, 
unlike many coaches in pro sports, was willing to sit down one-on-one with D'Lo and say, what can I do better to help you Mm -hmm. perform better? And a lot of coaches don't do that. Tibbs would have never done that, right? Right. Like a guy like that. So that that to me is reassuring. That's going to help this team move forward by coaches being having the willingness to try to do other things outside of their system to help players succeed with what their talent is able to do, you know, and, and put them in the best position to perform. So um, it, it's, it's not been all bad from the coaching side either. No, he, I mean, he's shown moments. We talked about him in our episode two weeks ago and definitely in the Utah game where he was legitimately coaching well and he would throw in the zone when necessary. He was mixing up his defenses, mixing up his lineups based on who else was on the floor on the other team. So he's definitely had moments in different games and, uh, you'd like to him to show a little bit more improvisational skills in terms of adapting quickly or figuring out what can work depending on the the personnel he has available to him. But, but you know, the hope is, and you can't judge a whole season off of one five-game stretch, especially when there there have been injuries, but the hope is that if these guys grow and learn a system in the first half of this season, and if that's really what they're pushing, that they're going to say, you know what, we're going to learn this system, that by the second half of the season when that second half of the schedule comes out, they're ready and they know the system. And this is kind of an extended period of we're going to try to win on talent, but we're going to follow the system and hopefully make it work for us. So, and that, you know, then by the second half of the season, we're ready to just kind of fly because we have the talent and the system down. So sure, that's the hope, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to set set by a dogma and, and be rigid to a system, that's what it has to lead to is that every, by a certain point, everybody knows the system well enough that it actually makes you more than the sum of your parts. So, yep. And, and hopefully they, they do bend a little bit and add a couple wrinkles mm-hmm. to the system. Don't change the system whole cloth, but you know, add, you know, add more high ball screens for Delo because that's what he does. Well, um, things like that. And, and frankly, I think those things would also help cats game as yeah. well. So uh, I I don't think it's a bad thing to to mix some other you know things that have worked elsewhere for some of these players in their brief careers because you know they're all fairly young or in Ricky's case as the elder statesman on the team at uh, whopping thirty years old right you know he's he's got some run he he's been successful everywhere he's gone to some degree mm-hmm. so like work in those things that you know work for Ricky so that he can you know help this team. Well, that in the same system isn't going to work against every team. So you need to have multiple strategies. Right. So, yeah. So they play those two L.A. teams. Uh, Injuries or no injuries, they get demolished. They just get crushed. Not a good showing. Everybody's kind of down on them. And it's just kind of a... I mean, I I know at least myself, it was... I have no reason to stay up and watch a West Coast Timberwolves game until Towns comes back. Because... I. I uh, sat through both of them. I did too, and I was—I didn't know why. I was like, "This is just—I'm going to be more tired in the morning, and this was just not worth my time. I'm just frustrated now, going yeah. to bed, and it's almost midnight." So, um, so they play those two games. Not a—you know—everybody's kind of in a bad spot. They come back in what should have been a winnable game against an 0-5 Washington Wizards team, and Russell Westbrook was out for the night. So, no matter what Which, your feelings are about Russell Westbrook, they make them a better team. Yes. <laughs> They went out and beat the Nets the, the following game with Russell Westbrook. So he's he provides some value. But uh, Bradley Beal just proved found every wart in this team's defense. And um, like I said, the Wolves moved forward slightly from the previous two games because they were only down by three at halftime, and they're actually showing a little bit of a little bit of fight for one half. Um, but then they end up losing one thirty to one oh nine and just couldn't keep up in the second half. Every you know every opening every gap was just exploited and I don't think Beal even had to play the fourth quarter. So lots of a uh, lots of garbage time for some of the 
end of the bench guys in that one, um, which had become a trend, but it also started to uh, to show some things that guys who normally wouldn't have been getting minutes were able to do and provide some insight into into some players that we wouldn't that are now actually getting real rotation minutes and might not have been on the floor otherwise. And, I mean, and we started to see that in the two Denver games, you know, guys like Vanderbilt um, who have been sort of clamoring for getting some playing time, particularly when Lehman and Wancho were struggling so bad. So, and you know, and, and that's one of, one of those things I really like what Delo said during, after the first Denver game, which is a good segue into that game was that he felt like we played a good game that game and we were starting to find ways to lose the mm-hmm. right way, right? Mm-hmm. We weren't getting blown out because of a lack of effort or a lack of knowing what to do. We were just getting outplayed by a, a better team. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, you know, I, just to take an aside on D'Lo, because I know he's taken a lot of criticism uh, from media and fans and, and whatnot so far this season because he's, you know, the 1B to Cats 1A. Um I will say I really like his his answers to questions. I, he's a smart guy. I like. I, I think he's insightful. Um, he he also made some comments about look, we just we just need more time together, man. You know, it's like we don't we don't even know what e- each other likes in terms of where they like to get the ball and how they like to score. And you know, and he's right. I mean, it's it's just like this is sort of a you know do it now, no patience sort of. Yeah, league any sport is right. Like as a fan base, you just want to, you want to see immediate results, um, especially you know after you make that big trade last year, you didn't get to see much of him and and Cat together. You're not seeing it this year. You're, the, the expectations for D'Lo are sort of through the roof, so it's a little bit unfair because he's got to learn a new system and all new players, and his his best teammate, the best player on the team, is gone again. So, um, what the things he said, I feel like he said the right things. I know the last couple games or last couple of days he's sort of just not answered questions or not shown up for media which that's a bummer but mm-hmm. um i like the kid i think he's you know his game's got some holes which we can talk when we talk about the players we'll get into that but his uh i like i like the answers he's got i think he's i think he's on to something yeah, and he's he's definitely found more of a role on this team over the last couple of games. But they, like you said, we're going to talk more about the the Denver games because the, the Wolves played a back to back with Denver, but uh, home and away back to back. Against Washington, they had played one decent half. Against Denver, the first game, they came out and they played three good quarters, maybe not three consecutive good quarters, but by the end of the third quarter, they were they were right in that game. They were playing pretty well. Um, unfortunately, the end result made it feel like. Uh, Denver knew the whole time that they just had an extra gear that Minnesota didn't couldn't match, and they just needed to kind of feed it through Jokic and and drive it that way. But each game has been slightly better for the Timberwolves, so they end, they do end up losing one twenty four to one hundred nine. So now we're at four straight fifteen plus point losses, which is is not good, and it's not exactly giving you what you want. But small signs of improvement at this point. Uh, nothing to really write home about, but each game just slightly better. Yeah, and the margins don't bother me in those two games because, really, you look at league-wide right now, if a team loses, chances are it's by more than 10 points. Mm-hmm. You don't see a lot of close games this year, and I think it's partly because of everybody sort of in disarray. Um, you know, the teams that are doing well are teams like, you know, Boston, who has really very yeah. little new pieces. and um, Or, you know, I will say Brooklyn is a team that's surprised me because I thought it would take a little bit longer to figure it out. They got a new coach, and they haven't had Durant and and Kyrie on the court together until this season. And so um, they've done well, but you know, you got two of the most 
prolific scorers in the game. So, you know, yeah. what are you gonna, like, so we don't have any of those benefits. So, so I, the, the margins in bottom, I think in Denver, both games, if I remember correctly, we dug ourselves into holes again in the first quarter, you know, and yeah. it's like midway through the first quarter, we're down 10 or 12 and have to come back. Um, and that, that's bothered me a little bit because again, that's why I would say, why, why are you not tinkering with the starting lineup? Maybe, you know, well, and Ryan has the last couple of games here. Yeah. And getting Ed Davis in there, who's got some history with Thilo. So they, mm-hmm. they know each other a little better, um, things like that. And then, you know, Wancho comes out just on fire in that second Denver game, yep. which obviously helped because th- that's going to keep close. I, I agree. Like I do think in both games, Denver felt like, well, we'll just turn it on when we need to and, and put these guys away. I will say in the second game, I think we did make them question that a little bit. I think we get, we went on that run, and mm-hmm. Denver started making some Timberwolves-like mistakes. They were throwing the ball away. They had, like, I don't know, four possessions in a row where they turned the ball over. And they just had a lot of, you know, goofy mistakes that they don't normally have because I think the Wolves were rattling a little bit. They're like, oh, they're they're on a run here, and they might put us away. They may also go up 20 here, you know. And they didn't. They eventually you know, calmed themselves, I think. Jokic was on the bench for a large part of that. They got him back out there, and, you know, he just – I mean, that was Nas's worst game of the season was game two against Denver. He just had nothing for Jokic in that game, yeah. and that, that kind of uh, sealed our fate. Right, <laughs> so the second game against Denver, the Wolves come out, and they have a very good showing. They, they're leading after three quarters. They go up by seven early in the fourth. And Denver goes on another run, but they were even at a point with two minutes and 40 seconds left where they were only down five and they had two threes that could have cut it down to a one-possession game. So bringing it all the way down to the last couple minutes and being within a one- to two-possession game made it a winnable game. And against now, having played five games against what were expected to be the top four teams in the Western Conference, those were all expected to be losses anyway. And the the Wolves got a win against Utah with Towns, and unfortunately they ended up getting a loss against Washington without Towns. So right. the Wolves' expected record after these seven games was would have been 2-5 and five if anybody was being realistic about it. And, and like that's I mentioned, where they're at. It's just how you get there. Yeah, and like I, I texted you, the two Denver games, because they played so much better in those two games despite losing, had they had Towns, I think it's fair to expect that they would have split that series, mm-hmm. those two games. And possibly won them both. I mean, just because I, particularly a second game, I think it was, it would have been really easy for us to win that game had Towns been in there because I thought that one was even closer than the first one. But it, it so yes, I agree with you that they showed, they have shown improvement in each game that they've lost. I, you know, it is what it is. The, the two Denver games definitely made them look better. Yeah. So not only have the margins gotten a little bit closer each game, it's it's largely been on the offensive end. Like we said, they they had 91 points against the Lakers, 101 against the Clippers, 109 against Washington, and then again in the first Denver game, and then 116 last game. So their offense has found a little bit more of a flow. They've put guys in positions that they need to be in to succeed. Um, with the and Wancho just get, Wancho getting his legs under him and just being able to hit shots. I well, mean, he's yeah. not going to be that hot all the time, but. That second game, I mean, would he, would he have 27 or something? Yeah, 21 in the uh, first half. That's going to make a difference, yeah. Right, yeah. So that you know, that might make that total look a little bit fat there. But, you know, other guys had bad game. Beasley had a bad game. You know, Culver didn't do much in that game. You know, other guys who have, you know, had yeah. okay games. Nas had a terrible Nas game. Nas had a really bad game. Ricky did not look good. So no. they had, like, three good players, and they still ended up losing by seven to Denver. So yeah. um, they're showing more. Um, and like we said, they've had 
the ability to say these are not games we were expected to win, and which is, should never be an excuse, but um, it doesn't mean that they're out of the running for one of those those play-in seeds. And while their excuses aren't all gone, Cat's not back, Akogi's not back yet, the ability to say we were supposed to lose these games is, is disappearing very quickly because their upcoming schedule gets much easier. Um, it, there's never an easy schedule or an easy game in the NBA, but the teams that they're playing now are other teams who are competing for those play-in play in spots. So they got Portland tonight. They have a, a back-to-back against San Antonio on Saturday and Sunday, both games in Minnesota, which the home at home court advantage means nothing this season. The home no. teams in the NBA are actually losing more than they're winning. Um but they get San Antonio twice. They get Memphis, who is missing half their team right now with Ja being injured. Uh, they get them back-to-back also in Minnesota on Wednesday and Friday of next week. Um, then it goes Atlanta, Orla- Orlando, Atlanta, New Orleans, Golden State twice. One game against Philly, which Philly's been hot this year. They're one of the best teams in the NBA. But then Cleveland twice, San Antonio again, and then two games against Oklahoma City. So if there's going to be a stretch of this season that's going to put them in a, a position to make a really a run at a playoff spot or even a play-in spot, it's going to have to be this upcoming stretch because these are the, these are the teams that, while the Timberwolves aren't going to be favored against anybody, if you want to be taken seriously, if you want a chance, these are the only teams that are quote-unquote beatable. And it's still going to be tough if, if Towns isn't back for those games because... Yep. I, you know, you're not you're not better on paper even than most of those teams, if if any of them, without Towns. I mean, you you're basically still down to one pseudo star player in mm-hmm. D'Lo, and one or two starter caliber players, and then a bunch of you know role players. Yep. And so that, I mean, I agree with you that that this is going to be the make or break part of the season, but. It still might be unfair to expect them to win all those when Towns may be out until February. I mean, yeah. we don't really know. The Wolves are notoriously secretive on their the injury front, so nope. we don't we don't know if he'll be back next nope. week or <laughs> right. Nobody should be expecting them to win these games with their current roster and the way that they've played, which is unfortunate. But but yeah, this is if they lose them, if they go you know two and eight over their next ten, then you can start looking at next season which would be very early to do so and it's going to be unfortunate because this is the part of the schedule that they kind of need towns there to really go on a run and get a, a plus 500 you know record going into what i'm guessing is going to be another significantly difficult portion of their schedule so and they might become sellers all of a sudden ricky might be somebody they're looking to trade or yeah. beasley might be a guy they're looking to trade you know because if they get to that point and this isn't working you know they're going to be up against the cap again next summer as well even if they have a better pick mm-hmm. they still aren't going to be able to round out the roster without some additional moves if these guys don't end up working out you know in the roles that they were brought into to play so yeah yeah i mean the whole several several pieces could be up in the air if if they this next stretch is bad and maybe that's why the wolves are playing the town things really carefully you know maybe his wrist isn't as bad as you know we fear and that he will be back for that stretch. And they're just like, well, why bring him back for for two grueling matchups with Jokic in Denver? And, you know, Nurkic is a big guy in, in Portland, and they got, uh, you know, other decent forwards and, and mm-hmm. stuff. So why put him through those two teams when you're going to have a favorable matchup the rest of the month? Yeah. I mean, I kind of doubt that's the case. Yeah, we I have, do too. I'm yeah, just saying. We have no yeah. hints that he's going to be back anytime soon. No, but, no. Uh, but, yeah, it would be nice to see him because they've got some games that, would be competitive with them on the floor. So a uh, quick news roundup. We got some former wolves in the news today. Uh, New York is dropping Amari Spellman. Um, 
who we were told had some real talent and that if the Timberwolves were serious, they would have uh, brought him in and been playing him more. Um, he's now being cut by New York so that Taj Gibson can come back and play for uh, for Tibbs again after stints in Chicago and Minnesota. So former Wolf, uh, Taj Gibson, former Wolf Amari Spellman, uh, getting swapped for each other out there in New York. A surprising New York team with a, a winning record at this point in the season. Yeah, and they played well. I mean, look, you know, we joke about Tibbs a lot. I mean, a guy can coach basketball. Mm-hmm. He's just not good for the longevity of your team. <laughs> you know, it's for a single season – and it's it's great, you know. And and Julius Randle looks like he's buying in, and um, Tibbs might be a, a really good coach for him because if he can kind of turn him into having a work ethic like a Jimmy Butler or somebody like that, that could really be good for Randle's career because the guy's got talent and he's a good player. Um, and I'm happy for Taj because Taj is he belongs in this league. He yep. still can play, so I'm glad that he got a five. We talked before the season and we were talking about Taj as a possibility of like being a guy that would fit here again. And uh, I remember he mentioned that he's still, he's still out there and I'm like, yeah, he won't be for long Mm -hmm. because he's just too good to be sitting at home. No, lots of teams are going to need veterans at one point or another, especially in this COVID weird season. So yeah, yeah, he was going to find this role and it makes sense that it's with Tibbs. They've had such a history together, but two more. He's a a New Yorker. So he's playing at home too. So he found the right role for himself. Uh, Two more former wolves also in the news. Uh, Michael Beasley, not Malik Beasley, but uh, good old Michael Beasley, Skittles, and uh, Lance Stevenson both uh, announced that they were signing with the G League today, so they're going to be a part of the G League draft, uh, I think, next week, and uh, we'll be uh, on a G League roster trying to make another NBA team uh, moving forward. So a couple guys that I don't know if they had successful stints in Minnesota, but they had fun stints in Minnesota (laughs) and provided uh, just more entertainment than uh, a lot of guys that have rolled through here, so... Uh, fun to see uh, Sabiz and Bees and Stevenson back out there. Yeah, and Beasley probably had his best run as a pro here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a remarkable run by any stretch, but I mean, he was like a twenty point per game guy while he was here, and I don't think he ever came close to that anywhere else. So, no, know. not at all. So, and then uh, one other article that came out this week was talking about the Wolves' uh, interest in selling and the the state that that process is in. Um, it's looking like Glenn isn't getting the offers that he was hoping for, mostly driven down by the fact that he's demanding that the team stay in Minnesota, which we all uh, appreciate and want to be the case. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to find a buyer that will both um, give him the offer and keep the, the team in Minnesota, but fingers crossed that he can find a local local person. But one note that I found interesting uh, in that article was that the team or the NBA as it's currently looking at uh, possible expansion in one or more cities. Um, as ru- it's rumored that the expansion price or the price to buy a new expansion team in the NBA would be $2.5 billion, which is crazy. I don't know if teams, current successful teams, are even selling for $2.5 billion. I don't think Utah just sold for that. Um, so I, th- I found that kind of crazy, especially when, as we just you know talked about a few episodes ago in the initial uh, expansion of the Timberwolves, they were... Uh, purchased for $32.5 million in 1987. So it's uh, grown. It's, it's, it's getting, getting up there, Chad. Yeah. It's, I don't, I mean, it's, it's hard to even comprehend how much money that isn't mm-hmm. <laughs> anymore. I mean, I, it's, uh, it's insane, but kudos to, to Adam Silver and Stern before him, because I mean, it's, it, I mean, just it was a five, six years ago, it would, you would look at the NFL teams that were selling. You were like, 
man, I can't even imagine the day when an NBA team's worth that. It was literally like overnight. They yeah. were all of a sudden. <laughs> you start seeing what the Clippers were sold for and things like that. So it was... Well, as uh, Portland goes on a run and the Timberwolves are missing shots left and right, including uh, wide open slam dunks, uh, why don't we transition into uh, taking a look at the team's roster up until this point, see uh, how we feel they've been doing. We're either going to give a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down as to their performance so far versus uh, preseason expectations. Uh, just getting, you know, kind of walk through each player and just see uh, how they've made us feel. If they've given us a warm, fuzzy tinglies, Chad, or if they're uh, making us depressed. So uh, anybody you want to start with? Uh, I'm good with anyone. Who do you want to start with? Let's start a uh, leader on the wood team in uh, minutes per game, Malik Beasley. So far, at the, you know, up to the, this point, he's been averaging 18.4 points per game, which has uh, been pretty good, 45.7% from the floor, which... Um, traditionally, I think I would have taken if you had asked me. Um, unfortunately, he's only been shooting 29.3% from the, behind the behind the arc this, so far this season, which leads me to believe that it's a number that has to go up from that point and that he has still has more potential for his uh, ability to impact this team. Uh, and then five rebounds and two assists, and I think that rebounding number is one of his points of emphasis this year and his, his energy in attacking the board. So... Um, How's Malik making you feel? You've been happy with what we've been getting so far? I have. I mean, I kind of did did this as, I did do it as a letter grade thing, but I did it from the perspective of, you know, what you can realistically expect of these players. So, you know, you're not going to see somebody get an F that's on the end of the bench who wouldn't normally be playing anyway, just because, you know, Mm -hmm. what can you possibly expect from them? So, for me, I, I gave Beasley like a C plus B minus, and I think his offense has been there. I did know, you know, his three point shooting is a concern, but I I fully expect that to at least tick up, if not completely rebound. Um, and then his effort, he's still not a good defensive player. That's one of his negatives, but he he plays hard. I mean, nobody can question what he's giving you on the floor. It's just he needs uh, either more coaching from Vanderpool to kind of understand the system, or um, we just more practice with these guys mm-hmm. to kind of know the team defense and, and what to do. Cause he, he sometimes gets mixed up on the wrong guy, whatever, you know, his defense has never been a strong suit. That's not where he's going to make his money. It's going to be on offense. The offense, I, there's no complaints for me other than his three point shooting. But you, as you pointed out, his field goal percentage is still 45% and that's with the poor three point shooting. So yeah. you get that up and he's a 50% plus guy. So um, I've been happy with him. Well, How about he, you? he's a shooter. Um, there have been some games where I feel like the Wolves possibly got off to a slow start because he was over-aggressive on the offensive end when it feels like he's taken five shots before anybody else on the floor has even gotten gotten one off. Um, he's definitely always looking to score and be aggressive, but at times, especially through this stretch, he's been the only Timberwolf who's had the ability to get the ball in the basket, so I don't blame him for a lot of that. Um I have wondered at times with his over-aggression on rebounding if they are good rebounds that are helping the team because we're undersized and they need their wings to really step up in rebounding, or if it's a, this is my personal area of focus and I'm going to go out of my way to get rebounds because it shows effort type thing, kind of in a, in a selfish way, where, where possibly he's leaving his man. I'm not a smart enough basketball watcher to know exactly how that's happening, if anybody is, is listening to this and they have insight into that. We'd love to, to hear it. But um, but overall, yeah. I think he's one of the bright spots on the team and his ability to actually carry the offense for, for short stretches, even if he is 
a little selfish at times that the team has needed that just with the yeah. level they've been in. And I know what you're saying about the and the rebounds. I don't I don't read into it or don't look at it or even see any evidence that it's him chasing empty stats like some guys mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. fully capable of doing. But I do think you're right in the sense that his emphasis this year is to kind of develop that personality or that reputation of being a hustle guy, you know, a grinder. I mean, he's been, he started that stuff even before the season started. He started posting the the Jimmy Butler 5am workout tapes, you know, like, so he definitely wants to be known for having a strong work ethic and putting everything out there. And that part he's doing, I just don't think he knows how to do the other stuff that Jimmy Butler was good at, like playing defense. You know, I think so rebounding is, is a byproduct of that effort. Um, and it's, you know, it's helpful, but it's, you, we're not seeing lockdown defense the way that Be- Beasley sort of said, you know, coming into the season, he was going to be a first team all defense and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and some of that stuff. So he, um, he's, he's putting in the effort and he, and, and he's definitely a hustler, but he's just, he's going to still fall short on the defensive end, I believe. Yeah. I mean, I know what they say about defense being 90% effort, but so That's much, not true. <laughs> it's not true. So much of it is knowing what the defensive scheme is, knowing what your opponent is trying to do and being smarter than the other team. And right. if all you're giving is effort, you're going to look like you're trying hard, but you're not actually going to impact the team on the defensive right. side of the floor. Right. So, I mean, otherwise Mark Madsen would have been a uh, right. Hall of Fame. <laughs> if all that mattered was effort, it, w- it would have been all all roses for Mark Madsen. So, <laughs> um, so, I mean, like I said, Beasley has been a, one of the few bright spots, um, especially his ability to average 18 points per game. Uh, you know, with five rebounds, that's about what we've expected out of him um, coming into this season. So better than, ex- not much better than expected, but uh, but I can't knock him too much, you know, especially in comparison to the rest of this roster. So uh, Jarrett Culver, uh, we thought we had something after two games. He showed another flash in the first game against Denver, but it's really been a really hit or miss with him so far this season. And I, he's a he's a young guy and you want to give him the, the chance to learn, but uh, at this point, he's still only averaging 8.6 points, shooting 43% from the floor and 23% from behind the, the three-point arc. So uh, not significantly uh, off from where he was last year or showing a lot of progress in the totality of his season. Yeah, and I kind of have him at, he's kind of what I expected going in, right? In preseason, mm-hmm. I was excited because he looked like one of our better players. It looked far improved. And then once the regular season started, you know, it's more ups and downs than it is consistent good play. Yeah. So um, if I was giving it a letter grade, I'd give him a C because again, my expectations weren't, he was an A plus player. He, but he, uh, you know, he's had his moments, both good and bad. And I, you know, he's still, it's only his second year in the league. And again, he also didn't have a training campus here and, and uh, preseason. So I, I still think he's a work in progress. I, I just, my expectations and my, um, what I my hope for him has diminished since we've drafted him. So I, I take that with take that grade with that in mind. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I just I mean he's shown me more I guess in three individual games than I had expected from I guess really any game at the start of this season. Why I didn't give him like a D or something, right? right? You know, like kinda, yeah. Because I expected it to be all kind of to this point, you know seven games in or whatever to be all pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And he's had moments that were better than any moments, any sustained moments that he had last year. So um, that's, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, I, I would give him a C. So he's had those moments, but the fact that his overall numbers are still kind of as bad as we expected them to be just really speaks to how bad those other moments have been. So the Wolves right. have needed him, and he's been forced into a larger role because of Akogi's injury. They need him to be that point-of-attack defender, and he has looked slightly better, or at least he did in the first Denver game when he was moved to small forward rather than being asked to play power forward. That's I'm glad you brought that up because that was what I was going to say too, is to be fair to him, his worst game was when he was playing power forward, and it's really not his position. I mean, yeah. it, it worked with Okogi, but that just shows you how good Okogi is defensively, how versatile he is. So, I, you know, just because Culver wasn't able to pull off the same sort of magic that Okogi was on defense at power forward, I, you know, I don't. And then I think it affected his confidence on offense. Um, so I don't want to torpedo his grade or say he's a lost cause because of that sort of, I don't know, trial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Ed Davis, our starting center the last couple games. Um, not, uh, you know, 13.3 minutes per game overall in the season. 2.2 points, 6.2 rebounds, but shooting 29% from the floor. They've kind of found something with him being a screen setter for for D'Lo. It's kind of opened uh, Russell up a little bit to be more of who he needs to be. So I guess that's his, his true value that he's been showing the last couple of games is that he's he's helped our, our star point guard be better. Um, but overall, as an individual, uh, not a lot of impact out there so far, especially on the defensive end like you'd like to see him show. Yeah, and that's what I agree completely he's a hard one to grade or a hard one to evaluate because exactly what you said he has improved the overall team because your best healthy player mm-hmm. has performed better with him on the floor but he hasn't even outperformed Vanderbilt or Nas Reed in my opinion he has defensively he's been better um in a couple of the matchups well but, and game to game too yeah but he's so he but he's just you know like you read off his stats they're they're not yeah nothing all, impressive yeah nothing good so you know he again another one that you the expectations coming in were that he was going to be you know a marginal player he was going to come in situationally and he's had to step up and play a bigger role um, but he's not the Ed Davis that I remembered wanting no. when he played elsewhere so um you know I again it's probably too early to assign grades you know like I'm doing but He's been, you know, slightly uh, a disappointment to me. I was sort of anticipating the Ed Davis of old when we got him because he's not that old of a person. It just he's not the same guy, at least on the court. And, and I'm again, like I keep saying about all these guys, it's I'm sure largely because we got all these new players, a new system, new team, all that for him. So um, it's probably unfair to judge. But it hasn't I mean, it's, been it's just a trend, you know, for a lot of this roster is. They are performing worse than we know that they are as a player. And is that, if it's a top-to-bottom thing, whose fault is that? And I think, like we said at the beginning of this episode, we don't want to bash on Ryan because it's early and they've been dealing with injuries. They've lost their best, you know, one of their best players and another starter. But to a T, almost everybody on this team is performing worse than you had expected them to coming into the season. And we'll finish going through the rest of this roster, but um, Davis is just another one of those guys. He was supposed to have, you know, he's had this reputation of being a really great teammate, for being a a good plus-minus guy, a strong defender. Um, And maybe the fault is just that we're playing him at center without a true power forward next to him when he should be a power forward next to a true center. And, you Mm -hmm. know, those those are different questions, especially for a a team's defense. But 
Um, either he's out of position and it's the coach's fault or he's just not coming in with the same level of interest or COVID or the lack of training camp, but something is, is going on with this team and their ability to, I mean, it's going to be the same thing with Ricky, who we can move on to next and uh, another veteran coming in and just trying to hold the reputation that he had from, you know, multiple years ahead of this. Um, and at this point, the, the numbers and the results just haven't been there. Yeah. And it pains me to say this because he's my favorite player on the team mm-hmm. um second favorite player in the history of this franchise but i i gave him my lowest letter grade on this team because i think compared to where the expectations for his play is and what you know what he's done over the course of his career he's been the furthest from that yeah in my opinion and so he's the one that's been the biggest disappointment to me so far and again there's reasons for it like i mentioned at the top of this episode that I feel like partially that Ryan's not using them the right way. They're not, there's no, you know, they're not, they're not getting on the break with him. They're not running with him. They're still coming down and setting up. And I just don't know what you're gaining by that because now you're really only asking him to be a spot up shooter, which he's, that's not a strength. And he still can't finish at the basket consistently. I mean, Mm -hmm. the holes just become magnified. The holes in this game that we knew he had, that he's always had over the course of his career, become magnified when, He's not able to do the things he's good at yep. because of the system, right? So, um, so some of that's on him, and some of that's on the coaching staff. And you know, for me, I gave him my lowest letter grade of, off the entire roster, even though my expectations of him were higher, which is partly due to why his grade is lower. Yeah, I mean, it, he's playing off the ball more, and that's due to the fact that he has to play with Russell. And they brought him in at his salary, and they they gave up real assets to get him. And you have to. You can't play him 16 minutes a game as a, ba- a true backup point guard, and it just doesn't make sense that way. But the system that they're running with the two of them on the floor is not conducive for his skills. Coming off a pick without the ball, catching the ball and being a secondary playmaker, making a quick read and just snapping it away quick is just, it's not kind of the role that he's played, especially in this his time here at Minnesota. It, when he's the primary ball handler, he's able to read a defense. He's able to put guys in position and then make his move. Um, I think that's what he's really skilled at, but reading and reacting off of somebody else's action, I don't know if, how much he's been asked to do that in his career. So uh, maybe he'll get better at it. Maybe the coaching staff will adjust and have him be more of the primary ball handler when Russell's also on the floor. But I think that would help. You know, I mean, you know, Rubio's a full-court player, mm-hmm. and they're only putting him in, in half-court position now. You know, he's not... I mean, this this team, despite all of its youth and you know quite a bit of athleticism on it, they're not a run and gun team. They're you know by and large they're just coming out in partly because they're not a good defensive team, so they're not getting stops that can get guys out on a break. They're taking the ball out and passing it in, so that the defense is already set when they're coming down the court. So it's you know that would help if the defense was better. That would help Ricky's game. That's probably why he was better in Utah and mm-hmm. and you know less so with Phoenix, you know, being the reason anyway, he was obviously very good in Phoenix, but, um, yeah, so. Well, even, even DeAndre Ayton provided 10 times more defensive, uh, resistance in the paint than anybody that we have on our team right now at at one of the big positions. Yeah. At least particularly with Towns out. I mean, I, it's close with Towns, the way Towns was playing at the beginning of the season defensively, you know, it, that's closer. I mean, I, Ayton's still a little bit better defensively as well, but, Tell well, I was start. also much higher on Ricky after two games of the season, too. That's true. Yep, I mean, yep. it, it unfortunately, this year, it has really been 
either Ricky or D'Lo have played well. And ever since D'Lo started to figure out where he's been at and what, how to, he fits on this team and how to really make his mark, it seems like Ricky has regressed by multitudes to the point that he's just been one of the most frustrating players on the floor, which I know that you need to make changes to make this system work for one of your max contract players. But uh, hopefully, he's, hopefully he's they can look- figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, he's looked miserable, too. I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't look like he's enjoying himself either. So that doesn't help, you know, a guy like him who's sort of a, you know, a vibe player where he, he, he likes to play on feel. And this is like such a scripted team now where everything is like sort of by design. So, you know, hopefully him and uh, Ryan can talk and, and figure something out like him and Ryan and Dilo has figured out to help get him in, in positions where, you know, I've thrown out there whether it's, him coming in as more of a platoon coming off the bench with, you know, Edwards and Culver, um, two guys that can kind of get out and run with them a little bit. And even if they can't do that for long stretches of the game, you know, do it for eight minutes and then, you know, sit back down or all three of them sit back down. Something to get them going. Or sub D'Lo out early, get mm-hmm. Rubio in there when Towns is back so he's playing with Towns. Because the problem is when Towns comes out, you know, and now that he's hurt, it hurts everybody's game because he's – he makes everybody better because so much attention is drawn yep. to Towns. He's not making people better because he's this, you know, Jokic like facilitator. Although he has been a better passer here in the two games we've seen too. But he, he's just a such a force offensively that defenses are solely focused on him. So guys are more open. There's more room to operate for the other four guys. And and so, you know, whoever is out on the floor with Towns, their personal game benefits from what Towns is you know, able to help them with. Right. You know, and it's just, even on the defensive end, he makes a huge difference for this team. The 111 points that they allowed versus Utah were the, the, they haven't allowed that few since he went out. So um, speaking of Towns, uh, he's only played two games, Uh, played 30 minutes a night over those two games, but averaged 19 points, 11 and a half rebounds, five assists, three blocks, Um, shot 33% from the three-point line and only 41% from the floor. So his shots weren't necessarily falling over those couple games, but the the sizable impact that he made on this team and the way that the entire roster is just based around him just made him feel like he was being so much more valuable. Yeah, his defense was was better. His passing was better. His his points of attack were better. And what I mean by that is like he was a little bit more like the old towns. Like he was actually looking for contact in the paint. He wasn't just settling for three-point shots like he tended to do more of last season. Mm -hmm. So I like that. I mean, the first game, he only had like 12 shots, I believe, or or something. Yeah, it wasn't a lot. Uh, Yeah, and and so if any criticism I had, it was more around getting him the ball more. (laughs) You know, like I just wanted, I want Towns to have 20 shots a game, particularly on this team. You see what happens Mm -hmm. when he's gone. I mean, he's our best offensive player. He's our best player across the board. So, um, but I... He had my highest letter grade. Unfortunately, we only got to see two games of it so far. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but... the, ho- the hope for Towns is that he does get back soon, like we've talked about, and then the team can start going on a run. And, you know, kind of like what happened with Steve Nash in his second MVP season when he went out for a few games and the team really struggled and they came back and they were really good. Hopefully it provides nationally the the respect that Towns kind of needs for playing with the teams that he's played on over his career and the impact that he really does make because if they're if they've been this bad without him and they can be anything close to good with him that would just make a big difference yeah because his reputation for whatever reason I don't fully understand it has taken a a beating the last couple seasons I think ever since the Jimmy stuff Mm -hmm. 
blew up, you know, and people are like, oh, well, Jimmy, Jimmy says he's soft, so it must be true. Well, yeah, Jimmy's only looking out for Jimmy. So I don't, I don't think that stuff was fair because, um, let's be honest, if Jimmy was on this team and Towns was in Miami, Jimmy wouldn't be winning any more games Not, either. Right. So, uh, and I think Jimmy's a, a terrific player, but he's, you know, he's not as good as talents. I mean, he's just not. And, um, so anyway, yeah, I, I, you know, watching the Denver games, I'm kind of hoping that the Wolves start to look at Denver as a team that they can sort of emulate a little bit, because I think the parts are similar and the, you know, D'Lo and, and Jamal Murray are not the same player, but they, they're, they're not all that dissimilar either. You know, they, um, they're not like high flyers or, mm-hmm. you know, um, Jamal Murray's better. Let me just square that away. Yeah. But you look at Towns and Jokic, those two are pretty close. And I actually prefer Towns. I mean, and so if somebody prefers Jokic, I'm, I'm not going to disagree because I think Jokic is a great player as well. But I think Towns' ceiling's clearly higher. And so you get that two-person pairing working the way that those guys have it working. I think that could be great for, you know, if D'Lo and Towns sort of modeled that two-man game the yep. way Murray and Jokic do. And then our complementary players kind of fit some of theirs, you know, like Beasley and... and um, you know, their wings and whether it's Barton or uh, like uh, Gary Harris and, you know, the, you know, being a spot up shooter and a hustle guy like like Barton. Um, we, we do have Edwards, which they don't have anything like that on their team, um, but they are more talented. We don't have anything like Millsap on our team. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it'll, I, I they we keep talking about Rosas coming from Houston and, and this sort of being a Houston model. We don't have guys that fit that Houston model. We do have guys that fit that Denver model. And, you yep. know, I, I think it's something to watch. Yeah. I mean, it, it clearly matches up, especially when your two best players are a center and a point guard who at times are defensively challenged. So hopefully, you know, watching Denver, you don't want to see that their, their peak, especially with the the other talent they've, that they've had on that team is, being destroyed in the Western Conference Finals because we don't want the Timberwolves' peak to be that. Um, if no, they, that's if they what, can... that's why I mentioned that they don't have an Anthony Edwards. Well, like we have let's to hope. develop. Yeah, let, let's hope that Anthony Edwards turns into something that they don't have. They've they've had plenty of good wings over the years, but um, if Edwards can be better than they have been, then that's that's the differentiator and what we could. Yeah, develop, I mean, he has so. to realize his potential. He can't just be what he is now. Yeah. I get that. But... Well, then let's roll on to Ant. Ant's averaging 25 minutes a game, uh, leading all rookies with 13.9 points per game. Uh, two rebounds, two assists. Uh, his shot charts have looked good. He's taking shots from the right spot. He's definitely shown flashes of shot creation, uh, playmaking, uh, and especially a spot-up jump shot or his ability to even take jump shots off the dribble, but uh, not exactly falling at the their capacity or the rate that you'd like them to, shooting 40% from the floor and 28% from, the, from three at this point. So... Um, definitely room to improve, but uh, has he been through seven games better or worse than you had expected him to be through seven games? Better offensively, worse defensively. Mm-hmm. I think offensively, it's hard to criticize too much. I mean, for a 19-year-old, I, I think he's he's a way better passer than I expected him to be coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that excites me. Defensively, he just looks like he's never played defense before. Like he doesn't, It's it's not like he's, doesn't have the tools to do it. It's like he's out there and he's like, "What am I? Who am I? Who am I supposed to guard? What's going on? Like, am I supposed to switch? Am I not supposed to switch? like?" He, I mean, he literally gets like spun around, right? <laughs> so, it's, um, but you, but you watch him. You know, you watch his his frame, his athleticism. So you're like, "Well, he's got what 
you want a good defender to have. He's got good length. He's got good size. Um, but he's just right now, he just looks clueless defensively. And I don't know if it's because he's never played defense because he's always been the best player on a team mm-hmm. that they've never asked him to play defense. Um, or if it's just NBA defense is so foreign to what he's used to. Um, I don't know what it is, but if he can figure that out, which I think he has the possibility to do, I, I you know, I don't, I'm not expecting him to be a defensive player of the year kind of guy, but I think he can, because of his, his physical traits, I think he can become a competent NBA defender. Yeah. And if he can do that and his offense continues to grow, well, then we have something. But, um, so I, you know, overall, I think it's more, more good than bad because mm-hmm. this whole team's bad defensively. So it's like, that also hurts your individual defense when the guy next to you also isn't defending the right guy. And, you know, so I, I don't want to like crucify the kid for not being a good defender on a bad defensive team. Right. You know, when he came in as an offensive guy, like everybody kind of knew that that was going to be, you know, his, his claim to fame. So, um, but, it, but that has to improve because he's, he's pretty bad defensively right now. Yeah. It has been a team wide malaise of disinterest in defense so far up to this point in this season. And, like you said earlier in the episode, they're 30th in defense at this point. So um, he, he's he got to improve. It might not come right away as we expected. He, like you said, he's a 19-year-old kid. He's trying to figure out it out on both ends. Hopefully that decision-making on the offensive end, the shots that he's taken, the aggression that he's showing uh, pays off for him, and he starts getting a little bit more comfortable both around the basket and he knows you know which three-pointers to take. Um, I would like to see him, I guess, be a little bit more aggressive, but he's been, I don't know, turned away at the rim a couple of times the last couple of games. And it, the touch hasn't quite been there. He's been super close. I mean, he's just fun to watch and he's just one of the few bright spots, especially in some of the losing games um, coming in, you know, playing fourth quarter, scoring 14 points in a quarter, you know, that type of stuff. But, um, but his maturity on offense too, where, you know, when he does pick up a double team mm-hmm. and he just, he passes it off. He's not trying to like dunk no. over two guys or, you know, and, and that is what, to me is refreshing. And then it's like his whole demeanor. I mean, this is off more off court than on court, but like his, his answers, the question stuff, he was like, you know, he's a fun guy. He seems to get it, you know, at least offensively again. Yep. He's defense isn't, he's not asked a lot of defensive questions, at least from what I've seen in uh post game or interviews or, you know, off day interviews, but he, he, he's, he's bright, you know, for a 19 year old kid, he's, a, he's a, he's a bright guy. So, I, like I'm still uh, pretty excited about him. Uh, nothing I've seen uh, to phrase it a different way has made me sour on that pick. I'm still pretty excited about the pick. So to me, that's a win. I mean, we're only seven games in, so yeah, I mean, and as much as we rag on his defense, I will say that he has been one of the few players who's actually shown an effort in transition defense this year. He's had a couple chase down blocks. He's, he's really, you know, if he makes a mistake, he makes the effort to make up for that mistake. And he's, uh, and that's what intrigues me about his yeah. potential. Yeah, because if, you know, off, offense, I'm not worried about at all. I think he's going to be a really good offensive player. Better than a Wiggins, you know, who's shown, shows flashes. I, you know, he's, um, but to be that Dwayne Wade kind of star, mm-hmm. he's got to at least be a competent defensive player as well. So, you know, I think he can get there. I just, you know, if I had a bet on it, you know, it's I'm probably more 40-60 that he will yeah. uh, get to that level. But, you know. Fall, if you fall short of Dwayne Wade, as long as you don't fall too short, you're still a pretty damn good player. So. <laughs> Next player, uh, Wancho. 
He started off super slow. I think I actually tweeted, cut Wancho. Um, <laughs> I was willing to eat the $21 million on his contract. And, uh, right, I guess it's not even the full $21 million. The third year is not fully guaranteed. But, um, but he, was, he was that bad for, for six games. And then he comes out, and like, you, like we said earlier, he scored 21 points in the first half of the game against Denver. Um, some excuses have been given. He, can, he had COVID this summer. You know, he didn't, have, get in, didn't get a chance to really get in shape, and he's been playing his way into shape as the season has started out. So um, it's possible that he's just now rounding into shape. Um, but we'll see if he can, can keep up the effort and if he can actually, if he actually has the ability to put in effort when his shot isn't falling which I, I'm not sure we've seen that yet. So um, rundown on the stats, 6.3 points per game, 41% from the floor, 30% from the from behind the line, or the three-point line, 4.1 rebounds uh, in 17 minutes. And those numbers are so much better than they would have been two days ago. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, to me, and I, I gave both him and Lehman, who we can talk about next, but mm-hmm. incomplete grades because they neither of them really shown up much. And, then, you know, so maybe you can give them Ds or, or failing grades. Um, I was I'm higher on Wancho than you are. I think that was clear even before the season started that I liked him better than you liked him. Um, and I, and you see why when you see what he did the other night because you imagine that performance with Towns. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I think I, I don't remember if I texted you or if I was texting my brother or somebody else. But during that game, I mentioned to somebody that if just we could just get everybody on the same page one night, mm-hmm. just to see what this team could look like. Because, you know, the good teams, yeah. that happens most nights for them, right? The guys are always performing at, at the level you expect every they night. They come in and ready for the game every yep. night because they're professionals, yeah. And we, we have every night, it seems like three guys on, three guys off. Everybody else kind of does what they do. But it's like we can't just get – if we could just get Culver and Wancho and, and Beasley, you know, because Beasley had a bad night mm-hmm. the night Wancho played really well. Um, if we just got everybody going – you know, offensively, I don't see how anybody stops us. I really don't. I mean, it, this team's got so much firepower and everybody's hitting. You know, now defensively, we might still give up 200 points. But mm. um, offensively, this team's very talented if they can, if they all are just on. But, the, you know, they're just – right now, it's just so up and down, so inconsistent. And, you know, and a lot of it's age and, and everything else we've talked about ad nauseum tonight. But um, Wancho's one of those guys. And, and if we just get half of what he gave us, you know, two nights ago – you know, more consistently. Yeah, he's well worth the seven million dollars a year. Well, yeah, I mean, opinion. he's being paid like a backup power forward, and if yeah. that's the what he outputs, I mean, if he averages fifteen a game instead of twenty one and a half, you'd take that. You'd be happy yeah. with that output, especially if he has good percentages and he shows a pulse on defense, um, mm-hmm. which he hasn't yet this year. So, no, um, although he did, he he puts effort when he's when his offensive game's going. Defensively, he puts in more effort. Again, effort doesn't always translate to good defense, as you know, as we pointed out. Yeah, defense is at ninety percent effort. Um, so that part's got to get fixed. But again, I don't. It's so hard to evaluate these guys defensively when everybody on the team is a bad defender outside of Okogi. Yeah, and Okogi is one of those guys where a lot of it is effort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but he's a very smart defensive player too. But you know, it's. So it's hard for me to like completely again torpedo the guy. He's not. I, I get. He's another guy on this team who's not ever going to make his money as a defender. It's just that's part of the problem with the makeup of this team. All these guys are offensive guys, um, except for Ned Davis, who's really only playing because Towns is out. Yeah. Um, you know, they're all offensive guys. So he has to earn it 
his seven million dollars a year on the offensive end, and and like we just said, if he gets half of what he did the other night, he's more than made made that money. The problem with this team is right now they're expecting him to be a starting power forward, and mm-hmm. uh, Western Conference that eats starting power forwards who aren't starting power forwards alive. Yeah, <laughs> you know so. Well, let's continue talking about power forwards and move on to Jake Lehman, who started the first few games of the season at power forward, uh, which was our most successful stretch, but that was mainly because Towns was starting, not because of how Lehman was playing. The first two games, I don't think Lehman or Wancho scored any points in the first two games of the season. So um, Lehman at this point, averaging just under 16 minutes a game, 5.6 points, 43% from the field, 20% from three, one rebound, one assist. So absolutely nothing to write home about for Jake Lehman either. It's, it's worse than Wancho. Yeah. I mean, he's he's my next lowest grade, I would say, because I had higher expectations for him than, uh, not necessarily than, higher than Wancho, but I think he's underperformed what Wancho's even mm-hmm. done and has less excuses, you know, yeah. than. Um, well, especially and, for one of the guys that looked good in the preseason, and that's too. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. He was one of the bright spots of the preseason and was one of the bright spots last season before yeah. his injury. I mean, we had... Uh, above 500 record in the games that he played. So, or about a 500 record, but he's a, he's an enigma right now. I don't get what's going on with him. Um, he just hasn't, and he hasn't had a breakout game. Like some of the other guys who have started the season to struggle, you know, D'Lo or Wancho and, you know, he just hasn't had that moment yet. So, um, very disappointing so far with, uh, Jake. I mean, I'm sure nobody's more disappointed than he is right now because, you know, he had a prime opportunity as a starting Mm -hmm. four on this team. And, yeah, I think he's lost that because when Towns is back, I think whether it's Okogie's going to be back in that role full time or Wancho will get it or, you know, hell, Vanderbilt might might steal it by the time Towns is back. So, you know, I think Lehman squandered a, a pretty good opportunity for himself here. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure he's going to have a stretch this season where he has good plus minus numbers. He's cutting well and his three is falling, but I'm tired of these mid 20 to upper 20 players coming in having a good 10 game stretch and having to talk about them as if it means anything after we've already fallen out of playoff contention yeah it's you got to do it early to the point that you're actually impacting the team's projection otherwise i just i don't care anymore i mean if you're going to get to that point then put Jaden mcdaniels and anthony edwards on the floor along with jared vanderbilt and just see what happens i mean it's and that, that's what i was texting you early early on i mean i just i don't understand why you don't have a quicker hook with I mean, especially Layman over more than so than Wancho, because Wancho you just gave a, a deal to, right? Yeah. So he's going to be here a couple more years. You're paying him more than Layman anyway. So I get why you want to, you know, make him play through it a little bit. With Layman, I mean, he's a good guy. He's a smart guy. He, he you know, he he can still rebound without having rebound and it's rebound his his performance, not rebound on the court. But he can he can still get better in in less minutes. But just pull him quicker and give some of these other guys more opportunity now. I, you know, I don't see what practice looks like. Maybe Vanderbilt's, you know, terrible in practice. Maybe Vanderbilt is clueless on defense. But the guy has more effort than just, well, than everybody else on the court now yeah. that Okoki hasn't been playing too. So I, I just didn't understand why they weren't pulling him sooner to give um, Vanderbilt more of a chance and just see what you got um, in him because you have no long-term equity in Jake Lehman. Right. I mean, they've got him for two more seasons, but it's at, you know, around $3 million a season. It's yeah. just not going to change the... No, he's an end of, of bench, this team. end of bench salary guy. Yeah. Like he's not even a high salary guy, like high salary backup. He's a, you know, I mean, he's a great deal. It's a great contract, for, a team-friendly contract. So, but you have no motivation to make him part of the core if he's not working out. Just, 
you know, and 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 he's the type of player that I think can still work his way through it with mm-hmm. five or six minutes a night. You know, right? And, he's just he's supposed to be an effort guy, and if he can't be an effort guy in six minutes a game, he's not going to be an effort guy in thirty minutes a game. No. And that's so. kind of what his role was when he was in Portland. Yeah, and he didn't play as many minutes as he's playing was playing for the Wolves anyway. So just use him the same way Portland used him. And if he's hot, let by all means let him play twenty five minutes that night. But you know, if he's not, you know, give somebody else that opportunity who's who's gives you a you know something else on the floor that he doesn't give you because like you pointed out, it, he has less rebounds than Wancho. He's got less points than I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing he does better than even Wancho, and we're already disappointed in him. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you know, so the the vacuum from those two at power forward has led to the you know everybody in the team's fan base looking for any answer there and the answer so far has come from jared vanderbilt um he's a a guy that came over in the same trade as wancho and beasley last year and he was not projected to be getting a ton of minutes this year but as we've said we need anybody that's going to show a pulse out there and he gives more more effort than and energy than guys even on the other team and uh, at this point he's he's up to 13 just over 13 minutes a game um and it's mostly over the last few, especially in some of the garbage time minutes that he's gotten. So the, these numbers aren't all completely against frontline starters, but you know, 5.6 points, 4.4 rebounds, two assists on 68% shooting. But if you, if you take that out to, you know, per 36 numbers, you know, if you're giving him starters minutes at 36 minutes a game, it'd be 15 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, four blocks, two steals. And, and what you say about the minutes is true, except for most of those minutes were against Jokic, you know. Well, um, this, this last game they were. I mean, he played a lot of fourth quarters against those L.A. teams where they, yeah. they had nobody, nothing to play for. So everything coming into the last couple games has, was largely projection on can he take this and advance it over you know, against better competition. And he proved over the last couple of games that he can. Mm-hmm. He just has to play with the right people on the floor because he has yet to take a three-pointer this year and he has yet to make a three-pointer in his career. So yeah. he and Ed Davis can't play at the same time. And Ricky. So it really does limit your rotation or where you, where you put them on the floor. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to have Ricky at point guard and Ed Davis out there, well then you definitely can't have Vanderbilt. I mean, it gets even more complicated because Okogie's not a good three point shooter. You know, Culver's very inconsistent from three. So it gets complicated when you're trying to find, you know, regular minutes from, which is why I wanted to start them because then if you start them, you have cat and D'Lo yep. and Beasley who are all good three-point shooters around them, and it's no longer a, a weakness there, right? There's, you can hide his lack of three-point shooting with the starters that you can't when he's on the bench. And by the way, you need somebody that can show a little more effort on the starting team because every game this season, just about every game, I, I would have to go back and look at the stats, but I think every game we've started in a hole in the first mm-hmm. quarter because we start off so flat and just playing poorly. So giving up, putting another hustle guy out there um, you know, whether that's, you know, you know, moving Okogi back to a, the three or something, you know, that I think that would help this team get off to some better starts. Yeah. But, and I mean, and if, if they're going to put a guy out there at power forward and not expect him to shoot like Lehman was doing those first couple games, then put out a guy who's going to play defense and get your rebounds while he's not shooting and yeah, Vanderbilt's the one that's going to do that. So add some size and yeah, hustle yeah. and got to give a uh, Dane Moore some credit for the pointing out the the inefficiencies of playing Vanderbilt with some with other non-shooters because he was all over that tonight on on his Twitter stream but uh, I I haven't been on Twitter at all yeah so um but yeah you know and so the one guy that is a big on this roster that he could possibly be on the floor next to is Nas Reed 
Um, Nas, who's averaging, you know, 10 points a game, 53% from the floor, 33% from three. And a guy that I was very high on for the first, you know, five games or so, somebody that seemed to be stepping into that cat role while he was out and actually performing above his station. Um, one of the few pleasant surprises on the roster has really taken a step back these last couple of games. He was awful in that last game against Denver and he just had, he hasn't shown anything tonight. I mean, so far it's early in the third quarter here, but, um, it seems yeah, like he's gone, say, dis- gone missing. I thought I was way higher on Nas than than you are, and I still think I'm higher on him because I he I think he's had one bad game this season. I I actually thought the first Denver game he played pretty well. I know Jokic kind of toasted him at the end, but look, Nas got Jokic into some foul trouble early in that mm-hmm. game. Frustrated Jokic. He he had a couple defensive stands against Jokic that he he didn't do anything that like is eye popping, but he just stood up. He's a big guy. Nas is a, a really large guy and just put his arms straight up. And, you know, Jokic missed some of those shots just yep. because of the hands in his face and stuff. So I, I, you know, I've been, I mean, look, he's a backup center and as a backup center, I think he's pretty good. And so I've been pretty happy. One bad game against one of the premier centers in this league. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, and like you said, tonight he hasn't done much at all. And yeah, in the competition, Nurkic isn't Jokic. So, um, you know, but he hasn't been out there as much tonight. I mean, I, you know, we've been doing this, so I'm a little bit distracted, so I haven't really been paying attention on minutes. But it doesn't seem like he's been on the floor as much as a normal game for us. It seems like um, Ryan's been going, giving Vanderbilt and, and and Ed Davis equal minutes to Nas tonight. So it seems like he's kind of got a three-man rotation going tonight. Yeah, he's uh, the more that Vanderbilt and Davis have played, the less Nas has played the last couple of games, which um, in the last Denver game was justified because Nas came in for a stretch in that fourth quarter and, and gave up in fall early, but too. yeah yeah um but we'll see i'm sure that'll flip-flop i'm sure different guys will get different types it would be nice like i said to see nas and vanderbilt on the floor at the same time if nas can do more to stretch the floor than ed davis can so um i don't know if they'll go to that at all tonight especially if this game continues the way that it's going and they need some some more uh it's garbage a weird time game. in the fourth quarter but yeah it's a weird game tonight because you know i'm like we're doing this while we're, we have it on. So it's like, I'm watching, I'm hitting, uh, D-Lo's on, uh, been playing great tonight and mm-hmm. he's hitting all these big shots. And, and then I look at the score, I'm like, God, we're down 20. Yeah. I mean, it looks like every time I look up, it looks like the Wolves are scoring. <laughs> you know, and then I look down and, you know. Well, as we talked next. about, it's, uh, it's that defense of ours that, uh, especially yeah. that perimeter defense. So Beasley and Edwards, especially had a really rough stretch there in the first quarter. They're, you know, minus 22 and minus 24 so far on the game. So just one really bad stretch where the Wolves, I mean, I think the Wolves were up by one at the end of the first quarter and all of a sudden they were down by 20, you know, halfway through the second quarter. So uh, it's just always, always seems like one rotation just kind of kills this team and they can't get back into it. But, um, but anyway, we talked about, we talked about Nas, we talked about Vanderbilt, we talked about the power forwards. Let's take it back, take it back to uh, Akogi. He only played just over two games as well. Um, was, one of the few bright spots on this team, especially through those first couple games, um, because of his ability to defend not only Blake Griffin at, Griffin at power forward in that first game against Detroit, but Donovan Mitchell in the second game against Utah. And he was, I mean, he's the team's best defender up until this point, and I think he's proven that. You know, and he started playing, he was defending LeBron to start that, yeah. that Laker game. So you know, questions as to whether or not he was going to be a long-term piece and if they needed him as a defender on that, on that starting lineup, but... Um, with the way that everybody else has performed since he went out, I don't think there's really any question that they need him back. And he could make, he's not going to make a town size difference when he comes back, but no, he would no. be a, a nice addition to what they have out there. So 25 minutes a game, which does take into effect the fact that he went out in the first quarter of the third game of the season. 
Um, but eight points, 48% from the floor, only 16% from three. So he has not sh- shown any improvement on, on, you know, from that area of his game, but, um, 3.33 rebounds, 1.7 assists, um, doesn't have a steal yet in the season, but his ability to kind of lock down those guys and just hold them to lower shooter percentages than they would have expected and sh- shut down the other team's offensive efficiency was, I don't know, like we said, he's really the only buddy on the only person on this team who's really shown that so far this year. Yeah, and he's, I mean, he's one of my favorite guys on this team. Um, he's got my second highest grade on the team mm-hmm. after, after Towns. So the two guys that have only played two games um, or two full games are the two guys that got my highest grades and Coincidentally, it's the two games that right. we were two and all that we won. That we won. So <laughs> shocking, um, yeah. Those grades yeah. might have dropped if they were still playing and we were losing all these games anyway. Uh, but everything you said, I agree with. You know, I, I was very suspect on the uh, trying him out as a power forward on defense. Not so much because I didn't think he could do it, but because I didn't think it was sustainable for a full mm-hmm. season to have a guy his size. I mean, I know his reach is ridiculous, but he's still six four. You know, I mean, he's just you know, and he's not like. Uh, pj tucker build he's not built like a truck he's yeah. you know he's long and lanky so i just felt like it would wear him down and and you know you're putting him in a position every, like you said every night he's defending the best player whether it was blake griffin one night then mm-hmm. donovan mitchell and then lebron james in the limited action against the lakers and and it's like i mean you know those are three really tough assignments and he did an excellent job in all three of them in the you know short time he had it with lebron um so i can't say it doesn't work um i still would like to see him have more of a natural three spot or something where he can really excel um when he comes back so which is all the more reason why it's important for me that one of these power forwards figures it out and kind of emerges as the guy or you know or a moves made so you can get a guy that Mm -hmm. can can actually be a starting caliber power forward but um but yeah i no complaints on kogi has three point shooting is awful but it is what it is you know he's that's not what he's gonna give you anyway so no and you'll um, give, like to see you'll give that up that. if he's actually showing yep. what he is on defense yeah. yeah yep it's just like the old the old days with ricky i mean you you know you you are willing to take all the warts for all the the, the good the good always outweighs the bad with ricky and i think the same applies to okogi as well so we got a we got a couple of quick ones here Jaden mcdaniels only averaging six minutes a game largely in mop-up time uh, 3.5 points, but shooting 62% from the field and 60% from three. So uh, he's showing something. That, that that flyer that they took on him as kind of the Zach Levine type uh, hit or miss home run swing. Uh, he's at least got the skill. He's looked good. I've seen lots of people who are really impressed by the ability that he's shown. I I don't know what he could show against a higher level of competition. I don't know if he'd be lost out there. I don't know if he'd be able to have def- you know con- no defensive rotations or uh, get in the way of anything but it doesn't seem like really anybody else does either so it couldn't hurt yeah yeah i mean his athleticism pops you know Mm -hmm. you can see what they saw in him so um but yeah i don't know what else to say about him because we haven't seen him against any you know elite competition or in meaningful minutes he's only played a that was a bad pass uh (laughs) (laughs) we we haven't seen him in in good stretches or meaningful stretches of game so we just have to I think wait and see, but nothing to, nothing to alarm us or um, nothing to get overly excited about either. Right. And and if this was, you know, 2014 again, Wiggins' rookie year, and it was just, let's watch Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels and Jared Vanderbilt improve and lose 60 games, it'd be just a different, a different season because 
I'm a firm believer that for most people, happiness is just a mathematical ratio of expectations versus results. And the hard part of coming into a season, which I think a lot of us would even say, this isn't a playoff team, this isn't a championship team, but we we expected to see more. We expected to see them be competitive, and we kind of needed that out of the investments that they've made to really feel much hope for the future in the current roster. And losing five out of seven the way that they have versus losing five out of seven in a rebuilding year or if they had been competitive and they just didn't have the last shot falling or whatever it happened to be is just it's just kind of defeating and knowing what you know what the potential is for this team or what we hope the potential would be just is and is not coming true is just kind of a it's a rough it was a rough start yeah i mean you look at just a couple of weeks ago we had you had Carl Anthony Towns was healthy. Mm-hmm. You had D'Lo, one of his best friends, who was your late season acquisition last year. They've only played one game together. You're excited to see those two play together. You got the number one pick coming into town. You got Ricky Rubio, the all-time fan favorite, coming back to this team. Yeah, I mean, optimism was pretty high. you know. Yeah. But then, you know, our uh, cooler heads prevail. We, we kind of looked at the Vegas odds, and I think both of us were on the under mm-hmm. from what Vegas projected us to win. So I, I think... Our expectations were set right, except for that that high of draft night when you, everything looked like it was coming together. You know, it dissipated pretty quickly. But yet, once we had a moment to kind of cool off and think about it, like I think we were we're at where we thought we were going to be with a team with Towns hurt, right? Yeah. Like if Towns if Towns was healthy and we were, you know, I mean this if we were still playing this poorly, I think. Yeah, I mean there would be calls to just blow chance. it up at this point if yeah, Towns were right. healthy, but right. Uh, but right now, you know, the, the two Denver games were at least entertaining and, you know, this game's turned into a blowout, but, um, you know, we, we, let's get Towns back and let's, let's kind of reassess where we're at at that point, you know, before we start turning this thing down. Yeah. So Jordan McLaughlin, uh two-way player, played well last season. We were excited to see him come back. He hasn't been active the last two games because they need to reserve his, his nights. Uh, the number of games that he's able to be active for is, is limited on the type of contract he has. But 16 minutes, 4 points, 41% from the floor, 28% from 3. But he does have a 3.5 to 0.8 assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, so a little bit higher than 3.5 to 1, um, which is good. He's been succeeding in his minutes as a backup point guard, at least, in, in distributing the ball. But but just, you know, we're going to have D'Lo coming up here last as the last player we still need to talk about, but so far we've talked about a lot of players and he's just another one who have not been hitting three pointers successfully this season. I mean, Malik at 29%, Culver at 23%, Ant is at 28%, Wancho's at 30%, Layman at 20%, McLaughlin at 29%, Akogi at 16%, Nas at 33%, which is one of the best on the team right now, and Kat also at 33%. So just so many players who on a team where we expected to come in and be a successful shooting team and built to shoot and spread the floor. They've just completely underwhelmed in terms of their ability to, sh- to shoot the three ball. And your two centers are your best three point shooters. Yeah. So, you know, what does that tell you? Well, that's I mean, what we had last year when we didn't have good wings, when we hadn't invested in shooters, right. but it was supposed yeah. to be completely different this year. Right. Especially, you know, you had d for the full season and, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, all the, all these wings, Beasley and, you know, Edwards and, um, who are scorers. I mean, Okogie and Culver, I, I, I never expected them to be good three-point shooters because they are what they are. But um, And Ricky, you know, you don't expect as well. But, yeah, Beasley, D'Lo, 
And then to a lesser extent, Edwards, I mean, he's still a rookie. So, you know, you still have to temper expectations with him as well from the three-point side. Well, um, and then Wancho too. Yeah. And Wancho. Yep. And Lehman. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we, I mean, those guys should all be hitting at a better percentage. So, you know, hopefully it's just a slump and a really, you know, team-wide slump. Yeah. I mean, the court is way smaller without Towns on the floor because yep. now there's defenders up in everybody's face because there's no double teams. I mean, you, who do you get a double team on this team? You know, you don't even have to double team D'Lo because that's not the kind of – he's a terrific scorer, mm-hmm. but he's not a guy that's going to initiate contact or anything. He's, he's you know, he's so far out away, away from the basket. You're not going to double team a guy, you know, four feet behind the three-point line. So, I mean, and largely you'll take the shots that D'Lo's taking. I mean, you'll, you'll yep. give him those shots. If that's yeah. the best that the team can come up with is D'Lo going one-on-one and getting a – either a three-pointer or a mid-range jump shot off, that's you'll, you'll take that. Yep. And so like Beasley, for example, I mean, I watch a lot of his shots because it, I expect him to be a better three-point shooter. He, he rarely is taking a shot without a hand in his face, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, it's, that stuff's tough when you're the guy that's going to take all the attention off you defensively is not playing. And so I think it's a lot different when Towns is, is back. And I mean, like Edwards, I, I think Edwards' three-point percentage was over 50% in the two games that Talon played in, for example. I don't know what Beasley's was. I don't have any of the stats in front of me. Yeah. Um, but I suspect, you know, those other guys, I know D'Lo didn't play as well those first two games, so I'm, his pr- probably wasn't any better. But, um, you know, those wings, I suspect, had better three-point. I think Culver was was pretty hot in those two games yep. three, from three as he well. Yeah, so, well too, yeah. Yeah, so, I, I, you know, Talon's coming back will help that immensely, I suspect. Yeah, and you know that that kind of brings me to to D'Lo too because thank goodness he's shown something these last couple of games because the only prayer that he had after after five games or so and especially without Towns for a few games was that he was just a really good number two that needed a number one on the floor because he had not shown any ability to carry a team on his own and he that game against Denver was kind of what everybody's kind of been waiting for and his ability to step up and really be the offensive fulcrum of a team, not only in his jump shooting, which he's elite at, but getting to the basket, distributing, playing the pick and roll, and just kind of keeping a team afloat. It was just something that we need to see out of him, and he showed more of that, especially in the first half tonight. Um, so, so so far this year, he's at 30 minutes per game, um, which is going to be lower than probably his end-of-year mark because we've been blown out so many times. He hasn't play, played a lot of fourth quarters. But 19 points, he is the one guy who's shooting it well. He's over 40% from the three-point line, 44% overall, five-and-a-half assists, three rebounds. So um, kind of like Beasley, he's, his numbers are similar to where you, you might have expected him to be at uh, preseason, but... Um, another guy who's been up and down and he's been better the last couple of games, but it's come at the cost of other players and who knows if, which, who will sustain and, you know, but hopefully he'll also be better when Towns is back, just like a lot of these guys. Yeah. And it feels like, I, I think part of the fan sentiment is that, Oh, well we traded Wiggins for D'Lo and D'Lo's kind of the same in the sense that he has one good game, three bad games, mm-hmm. one good game. Three. And I, I don't, think it is the same i i think part of it right now is him just trying to figure out his his place here because the good thing about what delo and wiggins couldn't be more different in terms of what they actually give you i mean wiggins wasn't a shooter delo is um i think i do think delo just isn't a number one guy um i don't i know he sort of looked at it sort of the one b to towns is one a i just think towns is your one a 
and Delo's your number two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I just clearly they're not. Yeah. yeah, they're not on the same level. I mean, Towns is a, a, a true superstar in this league, and Delo is a you know a star, but he's mm-hmm. he's a sometime All Star. You know, he might make another couple All Star games over the course of his career, but he's not a perennial All Star player in my mind. So, but I I like him. I and I I think he's done some good. I mean, he. He uh, had some nifty passes. He's not, again, another. He's not another defensive player, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I like you said, happiness is all about what your expectations are, and mm-hmm. um, I expect him to be more consistent. And from that, he's not done well. But I, like I said at the beginning of this, when we talked about Ryan Saunders a little bit, I feel a little bit of that was that they didn't put him in the right positions to succeed early in the season. The last few games they have. He's had a great game tonight, despite the team getting blown out. He's played really good the last game against Denver. Um, you know, so he's trending the right direction. Um, but you know, again, I think he's another one that'll benefit. When, everybody will benefit when Towns is back. I just, I can't say that enough. Um, and so yeah, I I'm if I'm giving him a letter grade, I'm giving him like a C as well because he's about yeah. like you said, he's about what you expect stats wise, um, and you know. Some good games, some bad games. Yep. So when he's on, he's really exciting. Yes. It's like yep. it's what you wanted from your point guard alongside Cap mm-hmm. because he's he can be that guy that can shoot you back into a game if you're if you're down nine with two minutes to go where you're like wow geez D'Lo can get hot and I can see him hitting three threes here you know yep. and so um, but he's not if people were expecting him to come in and be Steph Curry that's not who he is either. No, I mean. And you brought up the difference between him and Wiggins earlier. And as he struggled and as Golden State started winning a little bit more, you know, the questions were how bad was that trade? How, you know, was it worth it at all to give up that draft pick to go from Wiggins to, to D'Lo? And it's going to be just like everything where if Towns misses a significant portion of this season, it's a lost season either, either way. And of course it was a bad trade, but the trade so wasn't looked, the trade wasn't made in consideration of not having Towns this year. The trade was made assuming that he would be here, that he would be healthy. Right. And D'Lo next to Towns has so much more potential for this team than Wiggins next to Towns. Yep. And let's keep in mind, Wiggins had all of his games alongside Towns because Towns was a virtual Ironman when. Yeah, Wiggins up until last top. year, right? Yeah, which he didn't get hurt until after the trade, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I mean, they Wiggins got the benefit of playing with Towns all the time. They just they don't pair well together because no. of the way they their their games are so they're not necessarily similar, but they don't intersect. And so um, where you know Delo and Towns, you can see a nice pick and roll yep. system between the two of them and things like that. So that that's what gets you excited and that, why I don't think I still if you know if the trade was offered today, I would still do it, knowing what I know now, just to get out from under the Wiggins contract. Um, it's not even so, his contract; it's just the the heebie-jeebies of having Andrew Wiggins on this team. Like he was just, he wasn't going to take us everywhere. Everybody knew it and something needed to change. And it's unfortunate that it cost a first round pick in what is looking to be a good draft to do it, but nobody ever expected it to cost less than a first round pick. And if you had been able to do a straight salary dump at the time for him, I don't know if that would have been any better, but, but yeah, it's just, you know, you take a look at the Clippers and the fact that they gave up basically every draft asset that they had and a few good players to get Paul George. But it wasn't just for Paul George. It was for George and Kawhi Leonard to sign there because they got Paul George. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't just a trade for D'Lo. This was a trade for D'Lo and what he could bring out of Carl. And 
the fact that those two could play better together than than Cat and and Wiggins did. So and just because of their personal relationship, just to keep Carl happy too, so you don't have a disgruntled superstar who's mm-hmm. looking to get out of here. You know, so I think that's important piece of the the puzzle as well because yeah. you probably don't make that trade just strictly on what he gives you on the court because there's other guys that might fit better, but you're not going to find another guy who fits well alongside Carl. Who's also one of his best friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's only, it's only him and Devin Booker. I mean, those are the two guys and maybe Ben Simmons are, those are the guys and those two aren't gettable no matter what you throw out there, unless you're offering up towns. Yep. So ultimately I'd love to say that it's been largely an, an overall incomplete grade for this team because you just don't know what you have without Carl on the floor. Um, but they have been so bad that I'm going to give it an incomplete minus for the Timberwolves. I don't know. That's never been a real thing. I've never heard of an incomplete minus, but I can't give them a straight up incomplete because they got to perform better than they have. Yeah. What's, what's the old elementary school grades? Your, your girls are still in elementary school. It's like, it's like, it's like E for effort and S for satisfactory. Yeah. Something like that. And N for needs improvement. And yeah, yeah. this is a, this is a hard N. Right. (laughs) everybody needs to get better and whether or not that's with or without towns they need to figure they, you know they'll, they'll need to do that so um hopefully when we come back in another five six games uh talk about their their current progress they, they've shown more especially than they have tonight because as as we're recording they're down 113 to 85 early in the fourth quarter and uh it just it hasn't really been pretty so chad we'll be back Next week, it'll be another one of our historical episodes. We're going to go back to the time between the rookie draft in 1989 and uh, the start of the season. So we'll talk about free agency, who uh, who the Wolves signed and brought over, um, who they invited to training camp, and how the process of the preseason went and how the roster finally got cut down to the, the first official roster of the 1989-90 Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, join us next week. We're, ha- we're still having fun. We hope you guys are having fun, and we'll get back at you. All right, man. All right. See you next week. 